Hello, listeners. My name is Aaron Popat, and welcome to another episode of the LSE Focal Point podcast. I'm delighted to welcome Emmanuel Romain, CEO of PIMCO. Emmanuel picked up his master's at the University of Paris Dauphine and his MBA at Chicago Booth. Following this, he worked at Goldman Sachs up to partner level, then Man GLG at, at CEO, and then into Man Group as CEO and CEO and COO until 2016. Now he sits at the CEO of PIMCO, and we're delighted to have him on the show. Emmanuel, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. So to get started, can you explain your background a little bit more? Um, I've given some insight, but some more color would be great for our listeners. Well, I was born in Paris in 1963, and I grew up in a neighborhood of Montparnasse. I, I thought I should be an engineer like most people of my generation, but I wasn't very good at it, so I study applied math. The one good call I made is France was in terrible shape in the 80s. We had a president called François Mitterrand who seemed to not have studied at the LSE and not read a textbook on economic policy. And, and one thing which was very clear to me is I had to go. And I went to the US. At the time, I wanted to do a PhD and teach. And then one thing led to the other, and I ended up at Goldman Sachs. And then I stayed for the past uh, 34, 35 years in finance, very happily, I must say. Sounds very interesting. And hopefully we can get on to the story of how you moved from um, Goldman through to Man Group and then, and then now PIMCO as well uh, later on. Um, so firstly, though, could you uh, do us a favor and explain how you managed to get up to and hold such senior positions at some of the most, you know, reputable firms in the world. Um, you know, a lot of our students aim to get there just at the graduate level, let alone to the levels you've reached. So it'd be great to hear some insight. Luck, mostly. Um, I am a big believer that, that the world is a big probability matrix. And luck has a lot to do with outcome. And you've got to play the game enough time to be able to get into a position where you have a chance to succeed and thrive in, in an organization. I ended up at Goldman by sheer luck. Goldman turned out to be the right place to be. But the one advice I would have is pick carefully the company you're going to work for. It really is a question of how you want to build your human capital and what's the right fit for you. For me, I, I really wasn't a startup guy and I wanted to work in a company where I would learn plenty. And at the time, I made a sub very subjective judgment that Goldman was the place to be. So going, going slightly off script then, you know, obviously you probably reached some kind of um, forks in your career at different stages where you joined different firms and took different decisions. Um, was there ever a time where you felt you made the wrong decision? Because obviously your career from the outside looks very, you know, linear and very high achieving consistently, oh. but... Plenty. So, you know, look, I um, there were a few market situations which weren't fun. Uh, in 1997, it wasn't pleasant. 1998, uh, the Asian crisis wasn't great. And I went into the hedge fund world in 2005. And I cannot say it made me very happy. I think I met a lot of people who were supremely self-confident and thought they deserve in the moral sense of the world extravagant pay package 
I don't think that was for me. And, and, and one thing led to the other. And I managed to merge the company that I ran, GLG Partners, into Man Group. And I ended up running Man, Man Group, who to this day has a wonderful quant offering. And I was much happier working with quant than I was with overconfident portfolio manager. And I think that's, that's one of the things where I wouldn't say I regret it, but it was not always fun. And I think that's one of the things where you carefully look at the ecosystem when you join a company and say, is that really for me? Uh, so let's move on to, to PIMCO specifically. Um, obviously, you know, PIMCO's big thing is they're recognized as sort of the premier fixed income investment manager. Now, obviously, I know that there are other offerings at the firm, um, but it would be great to have that more of a fixed income insight from, from the beginning. Uh, we've seen some quite choppy markets over the past few years with rates being in territories we've never seen before. Um, so will there be sort of a look to pivot uh, to sort of diversify a bit more? Or is, is there still staying firm in the fixed income and prospective future and so on and so forth? So we run a large company, right? We manage more than $2 trillion and we do fixed income, but the ecosystem in fixed income is very big. It's treasury bond, it's corporate bond, it's muni, it's high yield, it's distress, it's private credit, it's real estate, it's mortgages, it's structural product. I mean, we do a lot of things. And the fact that we have such a big reach is important in terms of adding alpha to the performance. You know, we have a very simple business model. If we perform, they will come. If we don't perform, ultimately they will leave. And we have a very different business than we had 20 years ago. We have 17 offices across the globe. Global emerging market is very important to us where we perform very well. But, you know, we do things in a very different way than, than, than what used to happen uh, in the old days. And, and, and I would say it was a positive impact on investors. Derivative matters to us. We tried a lot of options. We tried a lot of mortgages. Our size is a benefit in terms of buying large portfolio. Um, and it's quite interesting. Now, there's not a lot I can do about the macro environment. And sometimes the macro environment is benign. And, you know, sometimes it's a bit more volatile. And right now, we have much more inflation than any one of us has seen in their lifetime. And the question is, what's going to happen? And how do you navigate best the current environment? And so we've done well, but uh, the game is not over. And if we have a crystal ball, uh, the crystal ball is broken because there's just so many things we don't know. There's a war in Ukraine, there's energy prices, there's supply chain problem with uh, China and delay in terms of, uh, of components. All of this question, uh, I think they have a variety of answers, but what we need to do in terms of a KPI is be super disciplined and add value where we know how to add value. This great myth that we wake up every morning and we see the world like Leonardo da Vinci because we get everything under the sun is absolutely wrong. We do a lot of small things well and they add up to performance, but we don't have this grandiose view of the world where we get every macro variable right. That's just is not the case. So kind of rolling on from that point then, um... You know, you, you mentioned that there's a, like a broad aspect to the to the fixed income that, that PIMCO looks at and, and the different uh, securities that you, you manage. How, as CEO, 
do you make sure that those those small particularities work? Um, you know, you can't be micromanaging a company like PIMCO. There's too much to do. So it'd be interesting to hear that perspective. So there's two things. I think one, you you learn how to delegate and you learn how to hire people who are better than you at many different tasks. So I have a great head of quant. Uh, my partner, Dan Iverson, is a great CIO. I have a great head of tech. I have a great head of client management. You need to empower them. You need to set KPI, but you need to let them do their job. And I have seen very few examples of companies that succeed where the CEO micromanage issues. But there is one, and I'm going to talk about it. So I believe in hiring young people who are going to succeed, give them every chance to grow into the company, invest a lot in tech, and make sure we understand where we have a competitive edge and where we don't, and stay very disciplined and be able to measure what we do in terms of result and in terms of capital allocation. And that to me is really what I need to do and make sure we are incredibly focused on the bottom line and know how we shift resources across the company. You know, there's one Elon Musk and Elon Musk could one day be at Tesla, the next day be at SpaceX, the next day um, be at Twitter, kind of go very deep and then disappear um, in really complicated businesses. And he's the one exception and all credit to him, but most of us are not Elon Musk. And there are people who have the ability to sort of pay attention to incredibly small detail and thrive on it. And you know, the problem is of course, that if you do this, uh, in most of the cases, it creates enormous conflict in the organization and people don't, don't thrive and they don't feel like they have ownership and all of these things, but you know, the, Tesla slash SpaceX example is, is, is incredible. It goes against every possible business management textbook uh, you can think of. But, you know, all credit to him. He's really an exceptional business builder. Yeah, perhaps uh, those, those management textbooks are going to change over the next 10, 15 years with, with the rise of big tech and the rise of these types of companies. Um, yeah, but, you know, you know, you said this, but I mean, Google and Amazon that I know well, they run incredibly well-organized businesses. And yeah. It's true. Um, Google has gone through two transition of CEO. Microsoft has gone through many transition of CEO remarkably well. Uh, they 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 run very efficiently. They have huge R and D pipeline, but but it's not it's not about someone. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, but you think you know you think of these companies, you don't think of the CEO immediately, right? But you look at SpaceX or you look at Tesla, it's, it's Elon Musk's company. And that's that's the first thing that comes to mind. So yeah, yeah it's, it's a good perspective actually. Um, so moving on then, you know, specifically more about PIMCO and, and, and market um, analysis. Uh, it would be great to understand, you know, how you see, you mentioned earlier emerging markets. Um, how are emerging markets gonna sort of position themselves uh, specifically also brick economies um, because what we've noticed is the lag in sort of vaccination measures, also the increased like knock-on effects from inflation are probably going to have some pretty pretty dire implications for their economies. Um, how will that affect fixed income or at least investment markets in these places? Well, uh, I would actually slightly disagree. So I think the macro 
context is the US is going to raise rates rapidly because there's inflation. And that's what the central bank gets paid to do. And they will raise rate over the next two years. And whether it's 200 basis points, whether it's 300 basis points, we'll find out. What I can tell you is there is a good likelihood that when you raise rates a fair bit, things break. And it may lead to a recession. A recession may not be a terrible thing. It may be a couple of quarters where you have negative growth, but it's hard to achieve what is called a soft landing. Now, the situation in emerging market is, is quite different. It's a different level of public spending. It's a different level of debt. It's a different level of politics. And there will be opportunity. It is entirely possible that Brazil and Mexico are good places to invest. Asia has its own mini cycle where you can be quite bullish. And then, of course, uh, Russia, that used to be a big part of all the benchmark, is uninvestable for the foreseeable future. And that's the risk of investing in emerging market. But the reality is a lot of investors actually are more discerning than make broad asset allocation to quote-unquote emerging market and favor some of the region in terms of having position on. And of course, raising rates may mean a stronger dollar, may mean cheaper emerging market currency, more ability to export, and so on and so forth. And so I'm, 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 actually, I'm actually reasonably bullish in terms of emerging market fixed income and emerging market um, debt, broadly speaking. I think equity is going to be hard. I think the one thing that everyone should think about is where are the great new companies coming from? They come from the US. They come from China one or two come from India, and that's sort of it. One would really hope that there's a world where you see some great tech company coming out of Europe. Yeah, I think there's there's this increased push and focus for this to happen. Um, but your points uh, specifically actually on fixed income are, are things that I think I don't tend to read that often. So um, thanks for that that insight. This is why I love doing this kind of thing and why our listeners benefit greatly from having people like you on the show. Now let's talk a bit about you. Uh, we've talked about leadership traits already, so I'll move straight on to sort of what are your own personal hobbies like outside of work do you think have actually contributed to your success and sort of focus on your role? So I read a lot and I always wanted to have outside interest. I was very much involved with the Tate when I was in London and my parents were artists. And so I love history. I love moral philosophy. I love art. And I love my beloved uh, Arsenal football team and the French national team. One doing better than the other, I may add. Um, and I've, I've tried to keep other interests. So, I think of the world in a different fashion and I don't focus only about finance because it can be incredibly reductive in terms of how I think about the business and how 
day to day, I wake up and 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 kind of re regenerate myself. And I I I think that 34 years on, you need to find a way to be excited about what you do. And so keeping the right balance and being able to read interesting book is very, very important to me. And, and one of the special thing about PIMCO is we have a great advisory board shared by Ben Bernanke. We have a lot of interesting people who come and talk. Uh, and it keeps, it keeps your mind working. And I have many different friends in university that do different things than I do. And I try to connect with them and I try to have a relationship with them and, and, and learn from them. And, and, and I think that's wonderful. And I would encourage um, everyone to, to, to do this. And, and, you know, I religiously read the FT, the New York Times and uh, the New York Review of Books. And I sort of look at the books which gets published and I immediately download them and try to read them and, 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 and find interesting things to read about. I'm very involved with uh, poverty and crime research at the University of Chicago. I'm very interested about policing and gun reform. Um, so you learn plenty about this. And, and, and the US is a place where you have huge inequalities in terms of outcomes. So there's plenty to learn, to learn and, and, and kind of get your mind working and I would say to give money to. Yeah, that's that's interesting. We know we normally get sort of, you know, I like to play tennis, I like to walk the dog, et cetera, et cetera. But I like that there's kind of that that underlying focus on just keeping the mind agile besides your day to day, right? Um I I think one of the I, I know the LSE has been very good at bringing students from all part of the world. Yeah. I think one of the key philosophical tenants of having uh, a career in finance is you need to be quite focused on giving back to people who need it the most. So my partner runs a charity. She feeds 50,000 children in South Africa. It's called the Lunchbox Fund. The reality is you feel great about it, except that there's another 5 million who needs to be fed that really don't exist in a country which has been decimated by COVID. We can mm -hmm. talk about India. India has the exact same problem. Yeah. And all the other country that we don't talk about. With a friend of mine, we've done a program in Togo. All of a sudden, because they were hit very badly by COVID. So we've tried to feed 5,000 people. So there's a lot of people who need help. And, and, and I'm a big, big, big proponent of having a moral obligation to successful people to give. And not to give to have a new wing in a museum or a new building at the LSE but give it to people who really have had bad luck and weren't born at the right time at the right place like I was. Yeah, I can only agree. Um, so kind of moving on from this, uh, do you have any recommendations for our listeners um, who are kind of at the beginning of their career in terms of their leadership skills? Because obviously it's a very different set of skills that you implement at the CEO level versus what we're going to be trying to implement when we enter the world of work. So when you get into work, there are three things you need to do. Two are obvious. One, pick the right company. Two, find a boss who's good, where you could learn plenty from her or he. And that's really important because if your boss is an idiot, there's no way out. It really, really is terrible. And you need someone who is actually 
really good and cares about you. And you can learn by essentially mimetism for 75% of the thing they do really well. And then for the 25% of the thing they don't do so well, say, you know what? I don't want to be like this. This is sloppy. I don't like this. I want to do something else with, with this skills. I think not having both is a real problem. And so if you end up in a company where you come into the company and it really isn't exciting and you realize from the inside that the company is not functioning or that for whatever reason you ended up in the wrong department and the people you work for are terrible, move. Your generation can move jobs much easier than mine. And the job market is so, so, so tight that there are many jobs. I hope a lot of you listeners will think of PIMCO as a career. We have many LSC grad. I hope many will think about this as an opportunity to get to know us better. But you've got to be willing to move. You've got to be willing to say, you know what, this is not working. And by the way, you need to be willing to also move geographically. There's going to be many careers in Asia, which are going to be super exciting. Right now, Hong Kong is tough. It's a tough place to live because of the COVID restriction. But that will pass. And over the next 30 years, I'd be willing to bet that having a career in finance in Asia would be very rewarding. I think I speak on behalf of all of our listeners when I say this interview has been incredible. Thank you so, so, so much for your time. Thank you for having me and good luck to all of you.